Our text today outlines the most epic battle that has ever occurred. You cannot conceive of a fight more dramatic and pointed than the one that we are about to see. This is Mike Tyson versus Thanos. You literally cannot envision something as dramatic as what we encounter here. This is a one-on-one battle. Jesus versus the devil. There can scarcely be a better setup for this. This is why Christ came into the world to combat the old evil foe. And it doesn't look agreeable for Jesus from the outset, right? This is the devil fighting Jesus on what would appear to be the devil's best possible terms. You've got, you've got God confined, willingly confined in the person of a human, limiting his own powers by choice, and kind of exposed out in the desert, suffering the hunger and the weakness that a human being would suffer. And that's when the devil chooses to come to him. Now, we actually don't join the text right at the start, right? Already, Jesus has been through a couple of temptations as the devil has confronted him. The devil has come to him, and he has said, "Uh, Jesus, uh, you look really hungry. How about you take some of these stones and turn them into bread? And Jesus answers him with scripture. And then he says to him, hey, uh, Jesus, uh, we're up on top of this uh, tall temple, and why don't you throw yourself off the roof and show me that uh, God's angels can take care of you? And Jesus answers him with with, uh, scripture. And at that point, then, we join the text here. We join it at the final round of the greatest battle in all of history. We're picking this up at Matthew chapter 4. We start reading at verse 8, and it says, Again the devil took him up on an exceedingly high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in their glory. And he said to him, All these things I will give you if you fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Away with you, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and ministered to him. Now, when we look at the temptations that Jesus endured over this battle with the devil, initially, they look really strange. They look bizarre. And that kind of hits us sideways, because isn't Jesus supposed to be tempted in the same way that we get tempted? I I am 40 years old. I have four decades worth of experience with temptation. I get tempted every day, pretty much all day long. I am a, I'm a connoisseur of temptation. And in all those years of experience, never once have I ever been tempted to turn stones into bread. It's one of the few that I've just, I've never experienced. I've never once had the temptation to kneel down to the devil in exchange for every nation uh, on earth as, uh, as my plaything, right? These are not things that have occurred. These look really alien at first brush. But when we dig into them just a little bit more, all of a sudden we start to see that these are actually really familiar temptations. That first one, the devil comes to him and says, wow, Jesus, you look really bad. You look 
awfully hungry. Aren't you supposed to be super powerful or something? Aren't you supposed to literally be powerful enough to save every single human being from everything that they've ever done wrong? Where is all this power that you're saying that you have? You know what? I don't think you have it. Show me that you have it. Well, that's actually a really familiar temptation. Every single time that you've stayed up a little bit late at night and pondered that second of death, and wondered to yourself, hmm, is it really going to be a bright flash of sparkling light that I see when I die as I enter into heaven, or am I going to be greeted with an abrupt and sudden taste of oblivion that'll last forever, and then you get that twisting, horrible feeling uh, in the pit of your stomach? That is this temptation right here. That is us doubting that God is actually powerful enough to do the thing that he said he came here to do. Now, as I said before, Jesus answers this objection with scripture, and then the devil kind of follows along that same uh, thought line. He says, scripture, eh? I know some scripture. The Bible, that says, God's word, that says a lot of things. Some of them seem pretty weird. Some of them seem kind of outlandish. Actually, there's this one part that says uh, he's going to send his angels concerning you that you might not strike your foot against a stone. So you're telling me that I'm supposed to believe the scripture that says you can't hurt yourself because God will protect you? Okay, here, tell you what. Jump off the roof and uh, show me that I can take this part of the Bible, uh, that that this part of the Bible is speaking the truth to me. If you're going to base your argument on it. And what does Jesus do there? Once again, he answers with scripture. But again, this is a familiar temptation. This idea, how reliable is scripture? It's something I hear out of the mouths of other people. This thing is ridiculous looking. Look at the ridiculous claims that it makes. You seriously take this for real. And then we join in on our text. But already we can see these Sins that initially looked really strange and alien, these are just remixes off of the Devil's Greatest Hits album. These are familiar sins. These are doubts that plague us all the time. So now we join in for the third one. And once again, we can distill this rather weird temptation down to its essence. The Devil takes Jesus up on top of a mountain, shows him the nations of the world, And effectively, what he says is, you see all this? This is mine. I won this. This is my world. Here's your deal. If you just give me the credit that I deserve for being the ruler of this world, I'll share it with you. And again, this temptation, this doubt is a really familiar one. Because I defy you to look around the world right now and find some aspect of the thing that isn't ludicrously poisonous. I mean, you've got the old standbys, the serious stuff, right? You've got politics and so forth, which of course are very uh, poisonous right now. But even if you go like way down market from there, right? You've got stuff like gaming, stuff that should be fun. That 
is an unbelievably poisonous atmosphere. I defy you to spend half an hour playing Call of Duty. Watch the crowd at a Manchester United game. Watch a Raiders game and then come and tell me that you think that God is in control of this world, that a holy power is the one that has serious, uh, 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 a serious hand on this world. You can even go worse than that. Silly stuff can be unbelievably uh, poisonous. Just stupid stuff. I had a legitimate argument with somebody over what order I should show the Star Wars movies to my daughter. So seriously, look around at this world. This is a world in which a fight over when a child should encounter Jar Jar Binks can down, darn, uh, you know, downright come to blows, practically, and then tell me that you think God is in control here. A world that both contains Jar Jar Binks and in which people fight over Jar Jar Binks. And you're telling me that the devil didn't win? That this isn't his planet? That God is the one who's in control here? It's a feeling of defeat and of hopelessness and of fear with which we are all familiar any of these temptations, Jesus could have answered differently and still have defeated the temptation absolutely. There was no reason for Jesus, uh, uh, there was no uh, uh, need for him to answer them in this specific particular way. That first temptation, the devil says, I don't believe you're really God. Uh, Jesus could have just said, well, I am, and, and left it there. It would have defeated, the t it would have been like, I don't think you're Brian Klebig. And I'd be like, uh, I'm not, I am. It's, it would be a reasonably easy one to defeat, right? This one, this last one, bow down and worship me. Jesus could have just said, I'm king, I'm not going to do that. And, uh, and left it there. But that's not how he chose to do it. Each and every single time Jesus was tempted by the devil, he always used the exact same weapon. He always pulled out God's word. He always defeated the devil with scripture. And there's two big reasons why he did it that way. First off, he's just showing us how it's done. When we're confronted by temptation, that is the absolute only thing, the best thing to appeal to in our own fights and struggles against it. But even more than that, remember why Jesus is here. He's not just being tempted because the devil hoped to make Jesus sin. He's enduring temptation on our behalf. He's more than just acting like a model, like a good example for how we can defeat temptation on our own. He is defeating temptation for us. We've spent our whole lives being suckered by these exact doubts being brought into sin by these exact same temptations. But when God looks at us, he doesn't see those failures. Instead, he sees the brilliant, easy, confident, perfect answers that Jesus gave instead. For all the times that we've lost to the devil, God counts Jesus' epic win over him as our victory over temptation. The devil thought he had Jesus here. The devil thought that he was going to have his best chances to end the plan at this point. 
And instead, God turned it on him and used it as just another stepping stone on the way to our salvation. Just like for all the world, it looked like the devil was going to triumph over Christ on the cross. And, turn, and God turned that into the critical victory that God would win for us. Bearing all of our sins, all of our failures, all of those times where when faced with temptation, we reached for that perfect piece of scripture. We reached for that perfect piece of knowledge, that clever response, and couldn't find it there. That in all of those times, he took those and laid them on Christ. When we see Christ on the cross, we see what the devil's intended outcome was for all of us. When we see the empty tomb, we see what God won for us instead. Empty tombs, a life free from death, from the fear of death, a life of confidence that our kingdom is shared with his, giving us righteousness, we get his innocence in exchange for our punishment. There's one last little bit here that we tend to kind of glaze over a little bit uh, at the end of this text. It is one of the most epic mic drops I have ever seen. We go through all these temptations. Jesus answers using reliably just that one weapon. He had plenty of others that he could have used. He only uses God's word. And finally, the devil gives up and he leaves. What's the very first thing that happens, especially pointed after that last one where, where the devil's like, I, I rule here, you don't rule here, I rule here. The devil leaves, and then what happens? It's in, our, in the uh, uh, verses in front of you, it says, angels came and ministered to him. Now, the word that is that was being translated ministered here uh, would be more commonly uh, uh, translated came and served him. The angels of heaven... Beings that are so holy and powerful that we, we shriek in fear when we encounter them. They came and they were his servants. After the devil said, show me your power, Jesus. And he says, scripture. And then he's like, prove to me that, you can't be, that the Bible is true. And Jesus says, scripture. And then the devil says, prove to me that you're really king. Acknowledge that I'm the boss around here. And Jesus says, scripture. Then he shows so pointedly to us that he is exactly who he claimed to be. That he is the king for whom angels attend. Here we see the reality that the devil was denied. Christ the sacrifice, Christ the substitute, is also Christ the king, Christ the ruler of all. His easy victory here, using only God's word as his weapon, is more than just a great example for us to follow. It's our victory, our hope, our path to his kingdom of heaven. Amen.